We are continuing our study in Colossians. If you're not familiar with this book, it's a, it's a letter. This is one of the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament. And we're just a few weeks into this study. We're finishing out chapter 1 and, and dipping into chapter 2. We're going to start in Colossians 1, verse 24. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow it there in the bulletin. Before I read this passage, let me read you from a biblical proverb. Just the first part of this biblical proverb. This is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things. Now it goes on to say that it's the glory of kings to search, search those things out, try to figure out those things. But, but it starts out saying it is the glory of God to conceal things. That one of the things that makes God God is that He wants you to know the things that you need to know. But there may be a time where he doesn't let you know something. And then he reveals it later. And that he knows how that needs to work and the timetable that needs to unfold. Apparently that really struck a a chord with Paul, the apostle. Because not just in Colossians, but when you look at his other letters, there's this thing that he likes to write about. And this term comes up, not just here, but in several of his letters that he keeps talking about that there is this mystery. And it was sort of right under our noses the whole time. And God has now gone public with it. He's taken the the, the veil of concealment off the mystery, and he wants you to know it. And 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 here's the interesting thing. I'm going to read the passage. When Paul writes his letters in the first century, he's writing in a cultural context where there were things called mystery religions. Uh, These religions existed in the kind of places where he wrote churches. In mystery religions, there were secret rites of initiation. And, you know, the appeal of mystery religions is it... it, Well, this is actually an old appeal. It kind of said, you know, you got the masses out there. You got the riffraff. But there's really just a few of us that know. You know, like that get the inner... We get the inside track to deeper wisdom and understanding the mysteries of the universe, how things really work. And if you join this religion and you go through the initiation, you'll be privy to that that information. So it's very exclusive. And Paul loves to write about, there is this mystery, and I want you to know it because God has revealed it now, and it is inclusive, not exclusive. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you 
and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the rain and the cold and the gray, that that is just what we needed. Lord, thank you that we can be in this room and that there's warmth and heat and light in each other and your word. Please reveal yourself to us. We pray that we'll know you and hear you, see you as you really are, that we would catch the aroma of the reality of your glory, your greatness, and the Savior. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. About a year after my family moved here, so this would be 06, there was a book that came out, and I bet a lot of you heard of this book, even if you didn't read it. Some of you may have read it, but it was a, and I've, I have not read this book. I just know about this book, so I'm being a little bit of a poser, but just a little bit of a poser. Uh, the book is about what's called The Law of Attraction, and if I understand it correctly, here's, here's the thesis, is that that all of us, through our actions, and even through our attitudes, are just kind of signals that we're giving off. We, we broadcast things to the universe, and, and it attracts certain things back to us. And you actually can learn how to harness that reality to attract to you the things that you want, and to really craft for yourself, if you understand this law and how to harness it, craft for yourself the life that you really want, the really meaningful life that you want. And that's the law of attraction. And, and what this book said was, you know, really, most people throughout history have not known this, this reality, this law. Uh, but certain sages have known it, and certain mystics have known it, even certain religious leaders, even Jesus knew about it, and now you are being made privy to it. And the, okay, this, from a marketing perspective, this was brilliant. The title of the book was not The Law of Attraction. The title of the book was The Secret. Brilliant. Brilliant. Because there is this just ancient, I mean truly ancient thing in the human heart that wants, you know, I've already kind of said this, that, you know, you got, you got the people, the normal riffraff out there, you know, like cattle. But there really are just a few of us it can be trusted with the inside track, you know, like the, like the real secrets of deep wisdom and deep understanding and how the universe really works. You know, these mysteries, only a few of us can really handle that, and I, th- and I think that, that you're one of them, so, you know, come join us. That's extremely appealing to us. Uh, New Testament scholars have really spilt a lot of ink trying to figure out what was going on in Colossae 
that, that prompted some of the things that Paul said. And we don't know exactly. I mean, really brilliant scholars have come to different conclusions. But if you look at some of the clues that are there, here's what seems to be the case. A guy named Epaphras heard the gospel of Jesus Christ when Paul was about a hundred and something miles away. Epaphras heard him and he believed. He brought the gospel to Colossae. Uh, People became Christians. A, A young church started there. But something happened between that and the writing of this letter. And what seems to be the case is that some of those cultural influences came along and said something along the lines of, okay, great, you believe in Jesus, right on. Great, you need to believe in Jesus to to know God. But you also need other things to really tap into that, like, deeper fullness. Like, for real spiritual fullness, to really tap into the mysteries and the wisdom of the universe, you need to learn this or do this or be associated with this or or combine this with faith in Christ. And so Paul writes to address that head on. And he brings up this mystery. In some ways, that was kind of their, you might say, almost their love language. That probably made their ears perk up. He uses the language that must have been going on around them culturally and co-ops it to say, I want to remind you of the gospel. So let's, let's look at this. And just a couple of points here. Mystery and maturity. Mystery and maturity. Now again, this is not the only letter where Paul gets into this, but this is a pretty clear example. He says, you've got this mystery. It was hidden, and now it's revealed. Look in, uh, look in verse, let me, let's start in verse 25. He's talking about his own ministry. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. In other words, so I was entrusted with this thing that you need to understand because if you don't understand this, you can't understand God's word. Like You won't have the key to unlock the scriptures if you don't have this thing that I'm ministering to you. All right, to make the Word of God fully known, verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. Okay, so what is it? Verse 27, to them, to those saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he refers to it again down uh, chapter 2, the the last part of verse 2. He says, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, what's the mystery? Christ. Um, Another esoteric book here. Do uh, do you remember the Da Vinci Code? Oh, the Da Vinci Code. Did you read the Da Vinci Code? Probably saw the movie, even if you didn't see the Da Vinci Code. And this has been out for like 12 years, so spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you something about the Da Vinci Code. But, the, you know, part of, part of the theme of the Da Vinci Code is this thing about the Holy Grail. And the, the mystery was, all right, now you, you've heard about the Grail. You've heard that this was the cup that Jesus actually used at the Last Supper. And in some Grail legends that it was the cup that even held his blood as he was on the cross. But, but you have thought of the Grail as a cup that contains the blood of Jesus. And the real mystery, or you know, the, the, the code that is broken, is that the grail is actually a person. 
that contains the blood of Christ. So that, that, was, that was the big reveal in the Da Vinci Code. There's something like this in Paul's words. Because, again, he's writing to people who live in a world with mystery religions and the pursuit of deeper wisdom and kind of like the cosmic secrets of the universe. And he says this, do you know what? Those secrets actually exist. The deeper wisdom, the real treasures of deep wisdom and understanding of the universe, it actually exists. But you don't find it like on a tablet or on a stone or in a scroll or behind a door or in a temple. It's a person. Like, listen, this language is so beautiful. Again, the, the, uh, chapter 2, the end of verse 2. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much of the treasures of the universal wisdom, secrets, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, how much of that is in Christ? He says, all those treasures are in Christ. Okay, that was important then and that is important now because there, there are all these different ways to communicate to like the normal Christian who he or she believes in Jesus. There are all kinds of ways to come along to a person like that and say, okay, look, you believe in Jesus. That's great. But if you're going to really tap into a deeper, fuller spirituality, you need to believe in Jesus and you need to blank. It can be theological. It can be a practice. It can be a discipline. It could be, you know what? You need to believe in Jesus and you need to have this second blessing of the Holy Spirit. When the New Testament says, if you believe in Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are anointed with Him. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. If you believe in Jesus... You are united to him. Jake preached about this last week. And this is a mystery. But Paul loves this and he keeps emphasizing it. When a simple person, a little sinful person like you or me, when that person believes in Jesus, that person is united to him and Jesus is united to that person. That person is in Christ United to him, and Christ is in that person, united to him or her. And here's what that means if you have that, there's not a secret section of the vault, you have the whole vault. And I, I, I just I want to exhort you about that, exhort us about it, that don't let anyone come along and rob your joy and say, okay, hey, you believe in Jesus, that's, that's great, but you also need to, like, blank. Believe in Jesus and practice mindfulness. Believe in Jesus and journal. I have made exactly 147 attempts in my life to become a consistent journaler. I have failed 147 times. And I think there are some benefits to journaling. It's a way to take stock of your life and be thankful for things or get it out on paper or just have a you know, documentation of what happened. And I know it's so tragic that all the people who are going to want, want, you know, write biographies of me will lack primary source material. All right, He said sarcastically and facetiously. 
yeah, that can be great, but don't let somebody come along and say, like, if you're not doing that, you're not going to really have the spiritual fullness you should have. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. God wants the mystery to be known because he wants everyone to believe in his son and to have what he has. Which leads to the second thing, and that's maturity. Um, maturity. You know, Paul's ministry was hard. And he writes about this in some places. It's not like, you know, Paul's just kind of marching into towns and laying it down, apostolic power, you know, world-class mind just knocking arguments down, knows the Scriptures better than anybody, seen the risen Christ, can do some miracles, head, out, head on out. Talks about, oh my goodness. People I grew up with have disowned me. The Jews oppose me. The Romans oppose me. I've been beaten. I've been stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, been cold, been hungry. The weight of the churches is on me all the time. His ministry was hard. All right, so why did he do all this hard stuff? When you see somebody doing something hard, you should ask, why is that person doing that hard thing? Verse 28. Him, that's Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature. Or you could translate that complete in Christ. I go all over the world. At, I place myself in harm's way so that people will not only believe in Jesus, but they will grow into mature believers. That they'll grow up and be complete. How, how is that produced? How is maturity produced? What, look, look, uh, look again in verse 28. What did he say? Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. How do, pe- how do people who believe in Jesus, how do they grow and become more mature? How do you grow up spiritually? You have to have teaching, but it's a particular kind of teaching. And wow, this is important. It is possible to open the Bible and teach and use cool examples and really get, you know, get people stirred up and not teach Christ. It is possible to open the Scriptures and just teach an ethic. And that is not apostolic preaching. He said, when we come to you and when we train other people, we equip people, we proclaim Christ. And I I feel like I've got to say this over and over for, for my sanity and for your sanity too, is that the reason that I hope when you're here or you're in a community group, that it always goes back to Jesus is because that's the only way we will grow. It is the only way that will change. It's the only thing that's life-giving. It would not be hard to just get together and just bombard you with ethics and beat you about the head and shoulders and send you to your cars feeling worse, and it won't change you. And it's life-robbing. You have to have teaching. But did you notice the other thing he said in verse 28? We proclaim, we teach, and we warn. You have to actually get warned sometimes to grow up. 
And we really recoil from that. But you know, when, when someone opens God's word or just in friendship, in the relations of a friendship, when somebody says something to you like, hey, look, I, I, I love you, but I've got to be honest with you. When I look at you, I feel like you have made work and productivity ultimate. Everything bows to your work. I want to warn you, that's not good for you. Man, that is love. And when we, when we don't have that kind of honesty, we don't grow up. Or, or how about this? Like for somebody maybe that is single and they really appropriately, they say like, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to be married. I'd love to, I'd love to meet that person. That's a wonderful thing. But it might be that you can go into a territory where a friend has to say, hey, look, I, I feel like you have made love or a significant other or marriage ultimate. I think you've made marriage an idol. That's hard to hear. But that's love. That's, that's a loving warning. Or if you're a parent, that, hey, I think your kids have become everything for you. Yeah, I, 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 I love you, I watch you, but I feel sometimes like I don't know where, where you start and the kids stop. Kids are a wonderful gift. Kids, kids are not to be ultimate. All of us need those warnings. Not just from pastors, but from friends. He says, we warned you when we were with you, so that you'll mature. Okay, that's how it's produced, but what, what does maturity produce? So, like, what, is, what are the hallmarks of it when it, when it shows, shows up? Let me point out just a couple here. Like, when you think about somebody growing up, how would you know when somebody grew up? Just in life. Maybe somebody you went to school with. Well, here's one. You know somebody has grown up when they give themselves for others. They just give themselves for... Like, think about this. Think about... I, I bet some of you went to school with somebody and when you were in high school or, or if you were in college together, they were funny and they're kind of social butterflies and they're all over the place and, and just not really taking a lot of responsibility seriously. And maybe... Later in life, you've bumped into that person, 30s, 40s, 50s. And that, let's say that person actually now has people working for, for her, for him. And this person is known not only as a hard worker, but will actually absorb things for the benefit of the people that work for her. And you know, we look at a person like that and we think, but you, you grew up. You grew up. And we're not being ironic. We mean it. You, you're, you're a grown-up. Listen to the language. Go back to verse 24 of how Paul models this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. And by the way, don't forget, he wrote Colossians in prison. When he says in my sufferings, that's not an abstraction. He ends the letter saying, Remember my chains. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What does maturity look like? It's where everything is not about me anymore. And I give myself for others, whether those are employees or people that I work alongside, or whether that's to my family or to children. 
Spiritual maturity means I give myself on behalf of you. Like here's, here's how real life brass tacks that is. And this is like, understand there's not a scold behind this. This is just saying like, okay, our life is a church. I know, I know, I know that, that sometimes when, even when you've committed, let's say to a community group, when the night or the afternoon or whatever rolls around for you to go to it, you just feel like, uh, no, no. And that could be because you like what you're watching on TV or you're napping or I just don't want to be with people. Or, you know, some of, some of you are even introverted, which is really weird, but said the introvert. Or, or like, your, your number comes up for nursery duty. Uh, you know, it never comes at a great time, it seems. Let's think about our lives. Let's think about in those moments. Those are real, real normal mo- moments in the life of a church community. It's... it's Let's be honest, it's our tendency to think, okay, well, the problem here is my fatigue. Or the problem here is is my workload. And what we won't often face up to is that really what might be up underneath that, because, yeah, I mean, you can be tired, sure, we're tired. And we work hard and there's a lot on us all the time. But what really might be up underneath that is immaturity. is that I just I don't really want to be honest that, that deep down inside of me, it is all about me and my schedule and my preferences in that moment. And it's really wonderful that Paul says, I, if, if you have faith in Jesus, I don't want you to be a slave to that for the, for the rest of your life. I don't want you to be a slave to your schedule and your preferences and to be controlled by your feelings. I want you to grow up and really learn how to give yourself for others, in particular, for brothers and sisters in Christ. Maturity looks like that. It also looks like this. It's, it's when you live with a posture of fullness. I mean, this is kind of the thing of, I know we can't, and I know it probably wouldn't be a good idea even if you could, but that thing about, man, I wish I could go back to high school and know what I know now. Well, why do we think that? Well, I think it's because we, we have figured out, you know what, I know who I am now. And I'm not a little insecure, whatever, 15-year-old anymore. No offense to any 15-year-olds present, but I'm just speaking from the posture of somebody who's older than that. And, uh, and I know what I'm good at, and I know what I can accomplish, and, I've, and I have accomplished some of those things. And I, I could walk down that hallway, and, and I, I'd be full. I wouldn't be needy. I, I wouldn't be a scared cat. Listen to the resources that Paul says the believer has. Go back to verse 2. He says, whether I've met you or not, these people in Laodicea, whether I've met them or not, here's what I want, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. He loves it when Christians love each other. To reach all the riches, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. If we went through life and navigated it and actually remembered the fullness that we have, 
How might that change us? I mean, I, I was just saying to somebody yesterday, it was interesting, I, we were having coffee and he, he didn't know what text I was preaching on, but, but this, came, this came up. When, when you come, let's say, let's say for, in my case, somebody with a family, so I'm about to walk back in at the end of the day, how do I walk into that space? Whether you have family or not, this is relevant for everybody. How do you walk into your workplace? How do you walk into a gathering of peers? Do we walk in in a posture of, I need you to respond this way to me because what that sets you up is to just get your feelings hurt for the rest of your life and to be put out with everybody and to think that, you know, community's not real, church isn't real, connection isn't real, or to walk into a room and to to know, yeah, I would love people to respond a certain way to me. I'd like people to be nice to me. Yeah, absolutely I would, but if they don't, I am okay. I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And let me share something with you before I close, because this is kind of in a simple way, in in really, I think, an elegant way, it drove it home for me. When uh, when my dad passed away, we had a service here, and then we had a kind of a lunch reception at my house, and I just had some people there that I don't normally get to see, some friends that don't get to see each other very often. And so a friend of mine, he's about two years older, he brought two of his sons with him. They were about to start college and high school, respectively. And then uh, I had another friend that was there, really sort of a mentor, about 12 years older than me. So my friend with the two sons was talking to the, to, to the older man, and, and they don't see each other often. And my friend with the son said, hey, look, these guys are about to start college and, and high school. Do you have any advice for them? Have you ever had somebody ask you that and you don't have anything good to say? You're just like, you know, I don't know, uh, drink water or, uh, you know, you know just, just try to get to class or walk away going, that, that, that wasn't any good. But he actually gave a great piece of advice. He, he said, he, almost immediately, he said, oh, yeah, I know, I know exactly what I would tell you. Don't take yourself so seriously. All right, genius advice. But, but there was a little caboose at the end. He said, Don't take yourself so seriously because God takes you seriously. God takes us so seriously that his son went through, like the thing that Adam talked about in the assurance of pardon, he was in anguish so that we would be redeemed. He takes everything that he did for us all his suffering and death, burial, resurrection, he takes it and he ascends to the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. When Paul says Christ is in you, it's not pretend. The Spirit who proceeds from Jesus Christ, seated at the Father's right hand, lives in us. God takes you seriously. So that you don't have to spend the rest of your life running a PR campaign about yourself. And ready to nurse a grudge over the latest person who's hurt our feelings. But that we have fullness. We're grown-ups. We can serve each other and not get credit for it. We can navigate life with a posture of fullness. Let's pray that that would be the case. Let's pray. Our Father...
we ask that you would do the very thing that's described in this text, the very thing that Paul labored for with his brothers and sisters. That because of the mystery of what you have done through your son, that because your son is not just for the Jews, but he's for all the world, Jew or Gentile, men, women, slave, free, that you would show us the fullness, the riches, the wisdom, the power, the maturity that's to be had in your Son. We pray that we would not go through life immature, that you would grow us, that you would change us, that you'd craft these hearts of ours. Father, if there's anyone here who's never actually placed their faith in Jesus, would you give her faith even this morning? Give give him faith. Draw them to yourself. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.